Hey guys, welcome to Unwholesome Content, where we're going to talk about some unwholesome dark shit. So if you're already listening to this and you clicked on it, that means you're just as into dark shit as I am. So you're here for a reason. Uh, my name's Sarah. I'm a 22-year-old girl living in Las Vegas, Nevada. Wow, I know. Wow, that was my stomach grumbling. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Yikes. <laughs> I'm hungry. But I know what you guys are probably thinking. Like, I'm a huge party animal. But I'm not. So I feel like I'd much rather stay at home and watch Dateline than go on any actual date. You feel me? But that's kind of sad because I do have a boyfriend. So that makes it even worse, right? So no one wants to listen to my fucking tragic little life story. So I'm not going to divulge in that. So I let's just jump into the first case. Our first case is Mark Twitchell, the wannabe Dexter Morgan. I really wanted to call him a twat, but I feel like that's just way too far, you know, like, I don't know, but I'm going to call him a twit. So if you hear me refer to Mark Twitchell as twit, it's the same person because he is a little fucking twit. Anywho, this wannabe fucking Dexter copycat sick fucking freak who doesn't deserve to even be called a serial killer because he's not you guys. He's just not one. He killed one person. You are not a serial killer if you just kill one person. I'm sorry to say that to you. A serial killer takes the killing seriously. Like, they're serious about killing, right? And I'm not trying to glamorize serial killers. They're just as shitty as anyone who murders. But at the same time, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of calling him a serial killer because he wants to be a serial killer. Like, he wants to be called that. He wants to be it. So why give him the satisfaction? Because I don't. But yeah, that was my little rant. <laughs> I feel like some of you guys have probably already heard about this case. Um, it was pretty widely publicized in the media back then when it happened in 2008. So actually, I think the worst part of this case is that this sick, sadistic fuck wrote down all of his pathetic actions. He wrote down how he's the ser serial killer in the making, his killings and failing at killing for the first one, and how this piece of shit cheats on his wife like what a catch guys right perfect man so this confession letter is actually online um you could find a lot of the information about this case online um i'll be mentioning some parts that i found that are the worst but it's literally like 45 pages of shit there's also um they also the i feel like the, the police also found another document about how he's a fucking psychopath but i feel like that wasn't like I don't know. I feel like out of the two documents, the one that pertains to the case the most is obviously going to be this one because he's describing everything that he's doing. So I decided we're going to do this story. Um, we're going to do this story style. Uh, I just feel like it, it come off better as telling the story about what happened. And then we'll divulge and get into Mark Twitchell himself. But I want to talk about the victims and what happened to them first, because I feel like that's important to um, recognize them. So, um, this all takes place in Edmonton, Edmonton, Alberta. I believe that's how you say it. And this is in Canada. A lot of people now call this place Deadmonton now, <laughs> like for good reason, obviously. So let's start at the beginning of Twit's escapades. On the night of October 2nd, 2008, 33-year-old tech contractor, I think you say his name Gills. I'm pretty sure it's Gills. Um, Gil's Tetral was on his merry little horny ass way to pick up his date for the night. Her name was Sheena and he met her on a dating site. 
called Plenty of Fish. I'm sure everyone is very familiar with Plenty of Fish. It's a popular dating site even back then. So um, that's where he met Sheena. Um, he thought Sheena was like way out of his league. He describes her pictures as blonde with blue eyes and her demeanor very soft and articulate. But as you know, men think with their bobos and he obviously didn't watch Catfish. But actually, I don't, I'm not even sure Catfish was around then. Was Catfish around in 2008? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Who knows? But you could still put two and two together. Come on, man. Like, I feel sorry for him, but come on. So Sheena gave him instructions to get to her house, but not a direct address. She told him to just go through the garage and that she'd be in there, whatever. I think she, actually, I think she said park in front of the garage and go through the garage into the house. Like, that's what she told him that she would be in, like, that's the way he could get in. That's some red flag shit to me, but okay, Gilly, do you think? I like the name Gilly because it sounds like Billy, guys, so I really wanted to call him Gilly, not Gills. Actually, Gills is pretty cool, too. I don't know. I can't decide. I'll call them both. <laughs> so at 7 p.m. on the dot, Gilly arrives. He walks over, crouches down to get into the garage because the garage door was like two-thirds closed, like... Have you ever seen someone like, you know, working in their garage or doing something in there and they don't want the garage open. So they kind of just like crack it a little bit to let some air in there so they don't suffocate and die. Yeah, that's how I imagine this happened. Um, suddenly he's attacked by a stun gun and discovers his attacker is actually a man with a hockey mask on. Like how fucking creepy, how horror movie style. I would be terrified. Uh, the stun gun hurts him, but he doesn't put him to the floor. He doesn't pass out or anything like that. And he just is not giving up this little fight that's going on. So the masked man pulls out a gun and throws Gilly onto the ground. And he starts to duct tape over his eyes. But Gilly was able to rip that shit right off his eye. Oh, I can't even imagine, guys, ripping. Ugh. Like, you know, I, I hate seeing people get, like, rip off duct tape, like, in movies and stuff like that. It's, like, terrifying. I hate it so bad. Ugh, just just no thank you so he's able to rip those that rip the duct tape from his eyes um he sprung to his feet and he actually realized that the gun that this guy was pointing at him was a motherfucking fake gun like this guy had a fake ass gun so now these guys are both on their feet and they're starting to fist fight it out he's trying to get away um gills drops down drops stop stop drops and rolls out of the garage and starts crawling uh remember he was hit by a stun gun and he was yeah, yeah, he was probably, he was punched, so I'm sure he was dazed and in some pain. Like, I would, I fully understand you, dude. I would be dazed and in some motherfucking pain, too. But, um, the masked man actually grabs his legs and tries to, like, pull him back into the garage, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre style. And Gil says that he, that was the hardest he ever fought for his life. And actually, he noticed a couple out walking, and so obviously he's screaming for help. So the masked man makes a run for it, lets him go, and runs away. Um, Gilly approaches the couple, and he's screaming, help me, help me. Um, this man is trying to mug me, because, you know, why else would this man be attacking him? Who knows? Obviously, but we, we know now that he wasn't trying to mug him. He was trying to kill him. So the couple is a little apprehensive, but, like, I feel like if anyone's running up to you bloody and crazy, you're going to have some questions and concerns. So, Gills ends up getting back into his car and drives away. But the couple did call the police and um, they came out and checked it out in case and everything was normal. Because I don't think they saw where he was coming from. I think they just saw that he was in the road. 
Um, so they just thought it was an attempted robbery and they just left it at that. And no one, like the victim hadn't came forward. So they just left it like that. So exactly one week later, a man named John, I think, can you say his last name? Altinger? Altinger is about to walk into the same trap. So John was a 38, was 38 and he worked in quality control. His friends and family describe him as an easygoing guy who was looking for love. So on the same site, plenty of fishy. He met and started chatting with a woman named, quote, Jen. That night, they were going to go on a date for dinner and a movie. Before he heads out to his date with Jen, he emails the direction she gave him to a friend being smart. Very smart, Garon, very smart. So these directions were, of course, to the garage of the death, and he had no clue what was going to happen. Anywho, Jen tells John the same bullshit about coming in through the garage. When he gets there, just after 7 p.m., he walks in. And was never seen again. The his phone wasn't was went pinged and went silent. Like they were like investigating it. So after a couple of days, John's friends and family are starting to get a little bit worried. They said that it just wasn't like him to not be responding to emails and calls. Plus, he didn't show up to a bike meet that way. He was planning on going with to some friends, and like that was just wasn't like him i guess they said that he whenever he committed to something or told someone he was going to do it like he was a reliable guy and he would show up so his friends and family got actually got sent a sketchy ass email from john the email said quote i'm going away on a long vacation to costa rica with jen i'll call you at christmas unquote but you know they weren't buying this shit because a who meets someone like who meets someone online they've never met before and just takes off on a vacation, like, just like that. Like, and especially not even a little vacation. They took off out of the country, just out of the blue. And two, he didn't let his work know he was going on vacation. And three, he wasn't answering phone the phone, even though he said he would call them on Christmas. So, like, the, he has, he's able to call, obviously. So, why aren't, why isn't he answering? So, freaking out, they go to the police. And, of course, the police say, hey... Maybe he really did go on the vacation. He's a grown-ass man. Give it a couple days, which I imagine would have been really frustrating because if one of my relatives or friends were missing like that, I'd be pushing and pushing the police to get involved. And for a police to tell you that, I can just imagine that's kind of frustrating, especially because if you, you have, you, I feel like you would have this feeling that something's wrong. So some of his friends actually end up breaking into his apartment. Nancy drew in that place up. And when they get inside the apartment, they discovered that there is no sign of him leaving for a vacation. His passport's there. His suitcase is there. His closet and clothing doesn't look like it's been touched. Um, so no, and nothing appears to be missing as to like, you know, you got to take something with you on vacation. They also find that the printer on his computer is gone. So with this information, the police are now taking things serious. And now he is ne- he's considered a missing person and they launch an investigation. So remember John emailed one of his friends the directions of, quote, Jen's house? So the police follow up with this information and find out that this garage is a standalone garage that's being rented out to good old Mark Twitchell. And um, it be- the garage belongs to a house that's just not attached, and the people that lived in that house rented it to Mark Twitchell. Um so they call in Twit for an interview and he reveals that he rents the garage because he's a filmmaker who makes psychological films there, which is why there's rope and swords and other sketchy ass shit laying around. 
uh, Twit was all too perfect in this interview. Like, you can even see the interview for, interview for him, yourself. Like, he was even asking detectives, like, questions like, wait, you wanted me to get, you want, get, let me get this straight. This man is missing and was at my garage? What? Oh my gosh. Like, he was acting like he was so concerned. And when detectives asked him if anything seemed off to him, he said it looked like someone had tampered with the lock on the door. Because he did give permission to the detectives to look through his garage at first. Like, just, but he said, like, um, like, the blood splatters and stuff. Like, you could see there was some fake blood in, like, a container and stuff. But he said, like, the, obviously there was real blood stains. And he said, like, oh, I'm a filmmaker. Like, that's why they're there. And they kind of just went with that. Because, really, they weren't suspecting him yet. Um, but in the end, these, the police believed him and like, he was off their radar. So now police are stubbed. They don't know what the fuck happened. They don't know what to do. So they turn to the public for help in this situation. They're urging with anyone with information about John or seeing anything near that area on that night to come forward and let them know. So do you remember that couple? Yeah. Um, they actually remembered the weird situation of the guy that was screaming and running towards them and came forward with the info, but also remembered that they have no clue who this guy was. They don't know his name. They don't know anything about him. All they know is someone is in trouble and possibly robbed and it happened right next to that garage. So they feel bad and they think that the person that they encountered was John Altinger and now he's missing and they feel bad and they come forward. They say, I think we know uh, we saw that guy. Um, but putting the timeline together, detectives put two and two together and they realized that the attack that the couple witnessed happened a week before John went missing. So it couldn't be the same guy. But they know he most likely was attacked by the same person who might have adopted John. So the hunt for both John and Gills, the first victim, is on. So going public again, police urge anyone with information to come with the case to come forward. Um, they're all obviously they're urging the victim Gills to come forward as well. Um, but they didn't know like what, why he wasn't coming forward, like why he didn't go to the police right away. Like, was he married? Was he scared? Was, was he dead? Like they had no clue. So Gills finally comes forward after one month of silence and the police are like, yo, is this the guy who was attacked? And he's like, no, this is Patrick. Just kidding. <laughs> but he admits that he was terrified, and that's why he didn't come forward. Um, he was thinking that the man who attacked him was definitely out to get him. I can only I like I can only imagine how terrifying his life must have been in that moment. Like thinking that this guy is going to get him at any second, at any time in the day. And some of the interviews where he describes what happened, um, you can just see the fear on his face and that he still shook as fuck from it. Uh, the police get Gill's uh, statement on what happened to him that night, and he tells them the gruesome details, and the cops believe the same guy who attacked Gills is connected to John Missing. Um, like, Gills went into vivid detail of what happened, and one of the detectives actually says that it was the one of the most riveting police interviews that he had ever encountered, and he was a homicide detective. Like, that's saying a lot. So they call on the guy who rinsed out the gar garage again because... Obviously, now they know Gills was assaulted um, in that garage, and he was led there by false pretenses of mating a woman. So thinking Mark definitely is involved now, they interview him again. Of course, he's still claiming his innocence, but now he comes out with some information he, quote, forgot to tell the detectives. He had bought a new car, a red Mazda, 
And this red Mazda was the same exact make and model of John Altucher's car. He said that a man came up to him and asked him if he wanted to buy a car. That he had a sugar mama who was taking him on a long vacation and he'd be getting a new one when he gets back. I believe he said he bought it for like 40 bucks or something like that. Which, this guy's an idiot. What cop is going to believe that some random guy is going to come up to the, on the, on the street and sell you a car for 40 bucks? Like, come on, Really? Like, you could have done better than this. You're, you're a filmmaker, right? So so Twitch is back on the radar now. Cops 100% believe that this fucker's involved. Like, there's no doubt about it. They confront him, telling they have, like, no doubt he's involved. And all this guy says, uh, why? Like a little whiny bitch. Like, in the interview, you can see him just like, why? Like, like I, I was like, really? That's all you're going to say? Why? Like... They don't have any definite proof because remember when Gills was attacked, the attacker was wearing a mask. So he couldn't identify him. So they let him go. But before he leaves, a detective tells him, quote, you're not going to be able to live with this for the rest of your life. And his, you want to hear his reply? He said, quote, you'd be surprised what I can deal with. Like what a P.O.S. What a piece of shit. Like you're a dick, dude. You're a dick. So with their sights on Twitchell, they couldn't arrest him yet, but what they could do was get warrants to search everything. So they searched his cars, his house, pretty much like everywhere in between. Um, They also take a shitload of movie props of his, including that infamous quote, mask. Um, So now let's let's jump into uh, the Mark Twitchell's background. So we can, um, so you guys can kind of get like a, insight on him uh mark twitch twitchell is a 40 year old wannabe filmmaker and he's a piece of shit um his first wife megan he was actually he was married twice so he had his first wife megan actually gave an interview on tv i think it was on um crime canada i believe that she did the interview but he describes him as sweet and kind he actually met this girl online too But she discovered he cheated on her and was like a pathological liar. So obviously their marriage didn't last. She also says that Twit once asked her if she, quote, ever thought about killing someone and that he, quote, thought about killing homeless people all the time. But suddenly on October 22nd. So let's jump back. I didn't mean to like jump back into the case without saying anything. So we're jumping back into the case. I just wanted to give you guys a little quote little look into his life um he's also he was also married at the time this was happening to a woman and had a little daughter named zoe um so on october 22nd while police are searching his house they hit gold um they're searching his computer files and they find something real interesting in that trash bin folder of his it's a document called quote sk confessions so once again, I have the document printed out right in front of me. It has some of the things, some of the things appear to be missing from the document. Like it's just white spaces. Um, it's about 40 pages of fuckery and it's just gross. Um, in the document, Twitchell just basically describes his beginning stages to becoming a serial killer. And you guys, I already told you the other things. Um, but he also really goes into detail of murdering John Altinger and how like he dismembered and got rid of his body. Like, this guy is a fucking idiot. In the document, he calls John, quote, Jim, but the details, it's easy to see that it it was John. 
The police also read about his attack on Gills and compare it to what Gills told them and what happened and what he wrote was matched almost perfectly. Um, I guess he even wrote Gills an email saying he knows where he lives and if he tells anyone, he'll come kill him. And yeah, so I can see why Gills was terrified to come forward now. Um, I'm going to read some of the things from the confessions, but I'll also post screenshots on the Instagram so you guys can read some of the other things and you can also find them again. But trigger warning, this shit is gnarly. So um, let's start with, I want to say the worst thing of this thing, the, this, the worst passage of this fuckery, um, I would say, is when he describes dismembering the body. And I'm not going to say everything because it's like two pages long of what how he is, but I'm going to say like basically how the gist of it. And quote, he said, I decided the best course would be to go from the feet up. I pulled out his wallet and keys. Then I used the scissors to cut his pants apart. I cut the shirt off too, but left the underwear. I don't need to see my kills dead junk. I began cutting the legs off at the knees, all in one piece. I didn't even bother to take his shoes or socks off. The knife went through his flesh like nothing. Severing his head was also a simple matter, and going through the vertebrae in the back of the neck didn't take much at all. Yikes. Like, disgusting. Literally disgusting. Um, he also reveals how he would lead his prey in. He says that, quote, he did a quick search for females that matched that I, what I wanted. He, he, okay, he, let me start over for that. I have fucking word, word vomit. So, um, quote, in the document, he did a quick search for females that matched what he wanted to represent in other cities around the world. Quote, when I found someone I liked, I copied their photos and used them for my new online identity as whoever it was I wanted to be. I would review the messages and choose a victim based on age, body type, profession, status, and living situation. When I come across a single man in his late 30s to early 40s who is self-employed, lives alone, and stands between 5'7 and 5'11 with an average body type weighing between 150 and 180 pounds, I know I found my ideal target. Yikes. Like, that is so scary. I never want to go on the internet again, guys. I never want to do that. He was also obsessed with Dexter. That's why we call him the Dexter wannabe. The police searched his house, obviously, and they found so much Dexter shit. I think even in, like, um, it came out that, like, I think in 2013, he bought a TV in his cell or whatever and was, like, finishing all the Dexter series. Like, in the house, they found, like, the series collection um, of the Dexter series posters and just weird memorabilia from, like, Dexter show. Um, I actually also researched and found out there's a quite a few crimes committed that people did that were basically a copycat Dexter murder spree. Like they were idolizing Dexter. Weird as fuck. Do with you what you want with that information. You're welcome. But yeah, this guy is fucked. Like I was, I, I was literally eating ravioli and almost threw up all that red fucking sauce when I read this, guys. So quick tip. Don't eat ravioli while reading about gross murder details. Thanks for listening to my TED Talk and good night. Just kidding. But seriously, fuck this guy. This is why I told you guys I don't want to call him a serial killer. Number one, he's not. Number two, not giving him the satisfaction. So let's jump back into... Oh, I got an itchy neck. <laughs> so let's go back into where the cops discovered the piece of shit's confession. So on October 20, 31st, 2008, on All Hallows Spooky Eve, Twit was arrested for first degree murder. I feel like I love this because he said his favorite holiday was Halloween, and I'm just so glad his Halloween was ruined. I feel really happy about that. 
That is the unwholesome content I need in my life. So police needed John's body and they wanted to give the family closure, obviously. So they know that this guy killed him, but they don't know where the body is buried. So when he was arrested, detectives actually take him on a little joyride around town. And they're trying to course him in to show where him where the body is. Uh, there's actually footage of the detectives filming him and trying to get him to confess where the body is. And you, got, and you guys, he literally looks like a motherfucking little kid whose parents told him he can't go, like, they're not going to stop at McDonald's because they have food at home. That's what he looks like. It, like, exactly. Like, he's turning his face and, like, fucking pouting. It's so funny. Um, I'll try to find, I'll try, I think I saw it on a documentary, but I'll try to, like, screen record that little part so you guys can see it. But, um, actually, in the end, he just doesn't give up where the body is. So, detects, detectives probed and poroted him for almost nine months in jail, um, until finally Twit's lawyer says that um, he's gonna, he will speak to detectives. And the documentary I watched on the Crime Canada, um, he says he, I think they say he made a deal, but it, I couldn't quite understand or get what they, the deal was. Like, I, like, I honest, I don't think they even said it. Like, they said that, quote, he had terms, but I didn't see the, like, I couldn't, they didn't really talk about the terms. They didn't say what terms. But he get, he gives up the location of the body and gives them a map of where it's located. So the cops take this map and they arrive at the location of the body and they find John Altinger's remains dismembered and put into the sewer. So here comes the trial. The trial was in March 2011 and of course Twitch is doing everything he can to seem innocent. He tells the court that he lured in the two men into his garage to build publicity for a new movie. He thought that they would spread the news about it, but it went wrong when John Altinger got mad and attacked him. So, of course, he had to protect himself. Oh, and that, con that confession document that the police found, that was just pure fiction. Like, come on, guys, he's a filmmaker. Of course it's fake. Well, hey, Mr. Twit, you're full of shit, all right? Yeah. What actually happened is that this guy lured John Altinger into the garage just as he did his first victim with the same pretenses and in his um confessions he actually says that um john altinger came in and he came in early and he wasn't prepared so he wasn't prepared to full-on attack him so when he came in through the garage uh, twitchell acted as if he knew his date and knew who jen was and quote jen would be back soon you could wait here or you could leave. And so the guy, because he gets, a, he all of a sudden loses his nerve and couldn't kill him. So that's what he told him. And the guy says, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait in my car. And so this guy is waiting. He does, Twitchell doesn't know what to do. So he goes out there and says, hey, actually, man, um, she's not coming. I'm sorry about it. Maybe she just head home. So John just goes home. Um, so obviously he's like, fuck, I lost my kill. I need to find someone else. So he gets back onto his, um, on the site and he's very adamant about the killings happening on a Friday night. I don't know why that's just the way he wants it. So he's lo out looking for another kill when, um, he starts riding with John Altinger again and saying like, um, oh, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Wish we could have met. And John's like, oh, well, we should just still meet. And so he sits there and ponders this and is like, okay, maybe we, I should have this guy come back over again. So he tells the guy to come back over again. And this time he attacks him. 
And he says that um, Altinger told him, you can have my money, you can have whatever you want. And um, he's hitting, this time he doesn't use a stun gun, he uses a uh, metal rod. So he's hitting this guy, and the guy says, please stop hitting my skull, it's hurting. And he's not. So he actually ends up taking his knife and plunging it into his neck, and that's how he killed him. And then, as you know from some of the passages and his, where the, how the police found his body, he was dismembered, wrapped up in plastic bags, and put into the sewer system. Um, Twitchell actually does say that he had a lot of, he failed at trying to get rid of the body. Um, He thought that he would cut up the body and then burn it, but burning it wasn't working out for him. So he, and he wanted to go and drop it into a lake. But when he got to the lake, everything was just way too risky. So he decided not to do it, put into water. And that's when he decided to put it into the sewer. So yeah, that's the gist of what happened to John Altinger according to his confessions. So um, after the court trial was over, the jury only took four hours to come up with the verdict of, of course, guilty. Big shocker, I know. Uh, after the trial, he, had, he has, I think, and he's connected with some people. I think, I believe a psychologist who wrote a book on him. I was going to read the book, but um, there was just so much information out there about this case. I figured I got all the information. I don't think there's much else. Um, but I believe, I, I think he was a psychologist and he wrote a book, but in, in the letters, he says that he's innocent. His verdict was wrong. It was the lawyer's fault. It was the jury's fault. It was the judge's fault. The system failed him, blah, blah, blah. Basically playing fucking victim. So in the belief, in the end, police believe John was the one to, one to turn in his own killer. If he never sent directions to, um, Twitchell's garage to a friend, then this fucker probably would have gotten away with it. Yeah. So that was the... I hope you guys enjoyed that. That's basically the gist of it. And he is still in prison. I think... I I don't even know how to fucking say the name of this president. It's just like... Something like that. Like, it's like... looks like fucking gibberish. Like, literally... Or something. And yeah. So that's where he resides to this day. Um, yeah, so that's the story of Mark the Twit, who had stinky pits, look like a thumb, and his white ass needs some more sun. So, thanks for listening to my little poetry slam, and good night, guys. See you next time.